morning. I'd like to invite you to take your Bibles and if you're able and willing, please stand out of honor for reading the Word of God. Precedent step back in, I think it was Nehemiah, they were reading. They had rediscovered the lost scriptures and they read them for the first time in years. And it said the whole congregation of Israel stood silent while the scripture was read. The Old Testament reading is out of Second Chronicles chapter 7, verses 11 through 18. The New Testament reading is from the first epistle of John, chapter 1, verses 5 through chapter 2, verse 2. In Second Chronicles, Solomon has just finished the building of the temple, and he's prayed, and we're told the Shekinah glory has come down, and people are in awe. And then God speaks to Solomon. Verse 11. When Solomon had finished the temple of the Lord and the royal palace and had succeeded in carrying out all he had in mind to do in the temple of the Lord and in his own palace, the Lord appeared at night and said, I have heard your prayer and have chosen this place for myself as a temple for sacrifices. When I shut up the heavens so that there is no rain, or command locusts to devour the land, or send a plague among my people, if my people, who are called by my name, will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then will I hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and will heal their land. Now my eyes will be open and my ears attentive to the prayers offered in this place. I have chosen and consecrated this temple so that my name may be there forever. My eyes and my heart will always be there. As for you, if you walk before me as David your father did and do all I command and observe my decrees and laws, I will establish your royal throne as I covenanted with David your father when I said, You shall never fail to have a man to rule over Israel. In the first epistle of John, he's writing to the church spread throughout Asia Minor. And verse 5, this is the message we have heard from him and declare to you, God is light. In him there is no darkness at all. If we claim to have fellowship with him, yet walk in the darkness, we lie and do not live by the truth. But 
If we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, his Son, purifies us from all sin. If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just, and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. If we claim we have not sinned, we make him out to be a liar, and his word has no place in our lives. My dear children, I write this to you so that you will not sin. But if anybody does sin, we have one who speaks to the Father in our defense, Jesus Christ, the Righteous One. He is the atoning sacrifice for our sins, and not only for ours, but also for the sins of the whole world. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. Please be seated. Please bow with me in prayer for the word. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your loving kindness towards us. Lord, through whatever we've been through in the past year or the past month or the past week or even the past day, Lord, we know that we do come short, we fall short, we we fail you, Lord, and we thank you for your mercies that are new every, every morning. We thank you, Lord, for your word, that it is your word that sustains us, that preserves us, and that continues to motivate us in living our lives for you, for your glory. And so now, Lord, as we hear your word, we pray, Lord, that you would give us attentive ears and attentive hearts. Lord, that as your people, we may know your will through your word, and that as your people, you will work through us to expand your kingdom here on earth and to fulfill the work that you have, all for your glory. And we pray this in your name, Jesus Christ. Amen. Good morning. I'm glad you all made it this morning. Uh, Man, it's only an hour, but there's something about it. Um, But we we look forward to the day where we'll get this hour back and we'll be able to sleep one more hour. Uh, We're continuing our series in prayer, and so if you've been joining us for the last few weeks, we've been talking about the importance of prayer and, um, you know, how to pray, what to pray for, and and things like that. Today, we are continuing in this series by talking about uh, forgiveness and confessing our sins before the Lord, but also receiving pardon. Most, if not all Christians, will agree and will understand, they know that we are supposed to confess our sins before the Lord. If you've grown up in the church, then you've done this ever since you were a baby. You're supposed to confess your sins before the Lord, not only at the point of your conversion, but you're supposed to do it weekly, if not daily, uh, in every moment of your life. Even as we worship God today corporately, we spend a moment to silently reflect upon our sins 
and confess them before the Lord and also receive pardon, receive forgiveness from the Lord. Now, a question may arise that if we have been forgiven of our sins already, if Christ, our Lord, on that cross, cried out, it is finished, and so our sins from the past and the present and the future have all been reconciled, they have been atoned for, then the question will arise, well, why do I have to keep praying for forgiveness? Didn't Jesus forgive me already? Wasn't it once and for all? How would you answer this question? I think that uh, in, in a broader aspect, right, generally there are three ways that people answer this question. The first way is to say, well, we have to ask for forgiveness. And we have to repent and we have to confess our sins because we might lose our salvation. God might become angry with us. And you don't want God to be angry with you. He might take away his spirit from you. And so we have to constantly confess our sins. We have to constantly make penance for our sins because we don't want to incur God's wrath again upon us. Or you might answer the question this way and say, well, you're right. God has forgiven our sins once and for all. So I guess technically you don't have to confess your sins anymore. You can just Live your life the way you want because God loves you regardless of what you do. He knows that you're, you know, fallible. He knows that you're going to make mistakes. And so it doesn't matter. You know, just, just live on because we know that God is a loving God. He is an accepting God. And so now, now no matter what you do, you just have to believe in Him, but He's going to forgive you no matter what. Or you will answer in this third way. It says, yes. We are fallible. We are sinful. We do deserve punishment. We do deserve God's wrath. But because of what Jesus Christ did on the cross, in atoning for our sins, we no longer have to ask for forgiveness every day as if we have to be re-saved, as if we're putting Christ on the cross again every day because of the sins that we have committed. We don't pray and confess our sins because we're trying to be resaved, we pray and we confess our sins because we are children of God. It's not that we don't have to confess our sins anymore. We don't have to ask for forgiveness anymore because of what Jesus has done. It's the opposite. We confess our sins because we have been made holy and righteous by the blood of Jesus. And because we are children of God, We long to obey his commands. We long to walk in the light, as John puts it in today's scripture. We are children of the light. And so when we begin to go astray, when we begin to sin, God wants us to come back and be on the straight path that he has put before us. And so we confess our sins before him. Now the first response tries to answer the question with more religion, more works, more practice, more penance. And so it makes salvation and it makes confession of sins about the self, about me. How much can I do for Christ? How much can I confess? What can I do more? What work can I do so that God will love me again? But it is a type of self-salvation. 
The second question responds, uh, the second answer responds to this question with irreligion and says, well, you get rid of all that religious stuff. Jesus has already paid for your sins, so stop doing all those religious things and, and just be carefree. But again, it's about the self. It is a self-saving way to answer this question. The reason that we answer this question with a third answer is because the third answer answers this question with the gospel. The gospel says that we are sinners, that we, that we incur the wrath of God, and that we are undeserving. We are, we are so wretched in our sinful state. But that Jesus Christ, who has atoned for our sins on that cross, loves us so much that there's nothing we can do, nothing we can do that can separate us from that love of God, from that salvation that Jesus gives to us. The gospel tells us that we have been forgiven once and for all, that Jesus has taken away our sins on that cross. This is called judicial forgiveness. We are saved not by my merit, not because of my works, but because of the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. Justification by faith alone, through Jesus Christ alone. At the point of our initial conversion, when we cry out to the Lord for repentance, when we plead to God to forgive us, we are asking for his judicial forgiveness. We accept and we believe and we have faith that because of what Jesus did on that cross, his righteousness has now been imputed to us before God the Father. And so we stand reconciled before God and justified before him. Therefore, the forgiveness that we pray for afterwards is not an attempt of re-saving ourselves. But we pray for forgiveness and we confess our sins because we know that we have already been forgiven. Both the Old and New Testaments ascribe judicial forgiveness of sins and salvation only to the Lord. Psalm 32.5 says, When I acknowledged my sin to you and did not cover up my iniquity, I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the guilt of my sin. Psalm 103, As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgression from us. Ephesians 1.7, in him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace. Hebrews 10.10, and by that will we have been made holy through the sacrifice of the body of Jesus Christ once and for all. Even in today's passage, John, who is admonishing the Christians, saying, you need to confess your sins. And it seems like John is saying, well, if you don't confess your sins, God will not love you, right? He says, if you confess your sins, then God is faithful and just to forgive you. But he doesn't want the Christians to misunderstand what he's saying. And so afterwards, in chapter 2, he makes it clear that your salvation can never be taken away from you. That even if you are in sin, Jesus Christ, because of what he did, still makes you righteous. And so he says in chapter 2, verses 1 and 2, My dear children, I write this to you so that you will not sin. But if anybody does sin, 
we have one who speaks to the Father in our defense, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. He is the atoning sacrifice for our sins, and not only for ours, but also for the sins of the the whole world. So then those who have been chosen, those who are elect, those who put their faith in Jesus Christ, have been saved through the work of Christ once and for all. We cannot lose our salvation. Christ's atonement for our sins is sufficient. And there's nothing that can separate us from his love. And so we pray in confidence that we have already been forgiven for our sins because we are saved. We pray not fearing the condemnation of God. Not fearing that we might not be saved. But with assurance that he already gives us eternal life. In 1 John chapter uh, 1, verse 9, our passage today, he says, If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just, and he will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. Have you ever thought of this verse? How it says that God is faithful and just to forgive us our sins? God is not just in forgiving our sins. As a matter of fact, God is just in giving us punishment, in incurring his wrath upon us because of our sins. So why does John say he is just in forgiving our sins? Because of Jesus Christ. Because Jesus Christ justifies God forgiving our sins. And so now it is not just for God to punish us, And to give us a penalty and for us to pay, right, for our sins. Now, because of what Jesus Christ has done, it is just for God to forgive us for our sins. Christ bore the punishment on our behalf. And our assurance of pardon, our assurance of forgiveness, it doesn't come from anything that we can do or anything that we don't do. But it only comes from knowing God's promise and covenant to us. And having faith in Christ as our Savior and our Mediator. But at the same time, this doesn't mean that we ignore our sins as some people do, as some Christians do. As some prosperity preachers preach to say, don't worry about your sin. It's okay. God loves you anyway. Just get rid of those bad thoughts. Get rid of those negative feelings. Stop feeling guilty. Stop feeling shameful. And they preach a false gospel that leads people to get rid of this guilt or remorse or any sinful thing or any shame that they might have to actually run away from God instead of running to him. In the same passage today, John says in verses 6, 8, and 10, If we claim to have fellowship with him, yet walk in the darkness, we lie. And we do not live in the truth. If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. And if we claim we have not sinned, we make him out to be a liar and his word has no place in our lives. Being a child of God is not thinking more highly of yourself. Being a child of God is not trying to get rid of all the negative thoughts and the negative feelings and making yourself a better person. But rather, being a child of God is understanding 
how great God's love and his grace is for you despite how wretched we are and how sinful we are. It is being able to take full responsibility of our sin because it is mine, saying it's my sin. It is my iniquity. It is my punishment to pay. And so we don't cast the blame on God. We don't say, God, it's your fault. We don't cast the blame on someone else and say, well, you're making me sin or, or my sin is because of this person or this situation. But we take full responsibility of our sin and acknowledge that we should be punished. The root word that John uses in this passage for confess is hamalageo. It means to admit, to declare, and to agree. John says, when you agree that you are a sinner before God, God is faithful and just to forgive all of your sins. Too many times, I think that instead of running to God with our sins, we try to run away from God because of our sins. Too many times, it's our, maybe our pride or maybe it's our shame that makes us think that logically, you know, man, I need to just get away from God. Maybe he doesn't see me. Maybe if I just don't think about it, then I can have a clear conscience. But the gospel says we're supposed to run to God because he is the only one who can forgive our sins. The peace that we have with God. The clear conscience that we all long for. It doesn't come from running away from our problems or running away from our sin or running away from the Lord. It comes when we bow down before the Lord, when we kneel before him, when we agree, we confess our sins before him. And he pardons us. He forgives us. Romans 2.4, Paul, he explains this and he says, Do you show contempt for the riches of his kindness Tolerance and patience, not realizing that God's kindness leads you towards repentance. This is why the gospel is so powerful. When we make mistakes towards other people, what is our natural reaction? It's to kind of stay away from them, it's to not talk to them, it's to try to just forget all of our problems, it's to run away. But the gospel says, even in our pride and our shame, no matter what we think, God loves us and he wants us to come to him. We're not trying to just fix ourselves or make ourselves better people. We're not just trying to feel better and think better thoughts so that we can not feel guilty or not feel shame. But confessing our sins is feeling the heaviness of our transgressions, understanding the weight of our sin before God, but running to the one who can cleanse us of our sins and give us a clear conscience and enable us to live according to his ways and commands again. We pray and we ask for forgiveness because we are children of the light. So initially, we cry out for judicial forgiveness. But as children of God and as ones who believe in Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, now we're not asking for re-salvation, 
but we are asking for forgiveness because of parental forgiveness. So there's judicial forgiveness, but now there's parental forgiveness. We confess our sins because God is our Father and He is, and we are His children. It's a relationship that we have with God now, where when we wrong Him, we still feel the weight of that that shame and that guilt, and so we are called. To be right with God. It happens with any relationship, with any person. If I make an offense against my wife, then ignoring her, not talking to her, sleeping apart from her, doing all these things, it's not going to help the relationship grow in love. It's not going to help us to work together as a marriage unit. It's only going to make things worse. And so what do I need to do? I need to ask my wife for forgiveness. Not not because I'm in jeopardy of not being her husband anymore, but because I need to make the relationship right so that we, as as a couple, as a marital unit, can continue to grow in love and continue to walk forward and do the things that we need to do as as parents, as husbands and wives. And the same thing applies for our relationship between us and God. When we sin before God, when we live in sin, as John says, when we live in the darkness, and maybe even we try to ignore that sin, that relationship between God and us, it it needs to be made right. It needs to be made right. And so, as uh, Stephen Wellam writes, So when we confess our sins by the work of the Spirit, we are reawakened to what Christ has done for us. And God revives our security in Him and assurance of our salvation. Believers then continue to pray daily for forgiveness, not with the despair of one who thinks he is lost, but in the confidence of justified and adopted children approaching a heavenly Father who has declared them just in Christ Jesus. How can we obey God? How can we walk according to his commands? How can we understand his work and his will? How can we do his will if we are living in sin, if we are doing the things that he hates and we don't acknowledge it? And so Proverbs twenty-eight thirteen tells us, He who conceals his sin does not prosper. But whoever confesses and renounces them finds mercy. We continue to ask for forgiveness and confess our sins. Because as God is our Father, we desire to walk according to His ways and commands. The more that we understand the gospel, the more that we understand God's love for us, the more we can love and forgive one another. See, parental forgiveness, when we confess our sins to God, enables us to forgive one another and to ask for forgiveness for one another. When we approach the Lord's table, we are, uh, we are cautioned to have peace with the Lord, but not only peace with the Lord, but with peace with one another. How can we have peace with one another? It's when we know the forgiveness of God. And so Matthew 6, Jesus tells us, If you forgive men 
When they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive men their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. And in Mark 11, he says, Therefore I tell you, whatever you ask for in prayer, believe that you have received it, and it will be yours. But when you stand praying, if you hold anything against anyone, forgive him, so that your Father in heaven may forgive your sins. Jesus teaches us that there is a direct correlation between confessing our sins to God and receiving grace and mercy and receiving forgiveness. There's a correlation to that and the peace that we have with fellow brothers and sisters. In Luke chapter 7, there's a scene where a sinful woman comes before Jesus. And all the people at the table and the people there, they're like, oh, if only Jesus knew what kind of woman this was. And in Luke chapter seven forty-seven, Jesus says, Therefore I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven, for she loved much, but he who has been forgiven little loves little. We cannot love one another. We cannot be at peace with one another. We cannot forgive one another if we don't know the forgiveness that comes from our Lord. And so we confess every day, every moment, to understand the grace of God, to understand the love of God, so that also we may go out and show that love and share that love with others. The more we repent, the more we love Jesus, the more we understand His grace. Grace and forgiveness. It leads you to love the Lord, but also to love others as well. And so we come to the Lord confessing our sins to him, but being assured of his forgiveness towards us. We bring our sins and our shortcomings before the Lord, who is willing and able to forgive us. And when we are convicted of our failures and our sins, we should not dwell on our own mistakes or our own shortcomings for too long, but rather we must dwell on and be reminded of the forgiveness and the grace that comes through Jesus Christ. What power is there in confession? What, what kind of power? What comes from confession? Well, we read in our Old Testament reading that God calls his people to confess. And this is the promise that he makes in Second Chronicles 7.14. If my people who are called by my name, will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways. This is what he promises us. Then I will hear from heaven and I will forgive their sin and I will heal their land. When we humble ourselves, when we repent of our sins, when we turn to God, God promises that he will heal our land. When you hear this promise, what do you think of? Heal our land. Heal the crops, right? Make the soil fertile again. That's part of it. But what God is promising us is that he will heal our land spiritually. He will heal our land physically during this pandemic. He will heal our land economically, politically, socially, you name it. God says when we turn to him and humble ourselves and ask him for forgiveness, that he will forgive our sins and he will heal our land. 
And so this is what he says following. Now my eyes will be open, my ears attentive to the prayers offered in this place. I have chosen and consecrated this temple so that my name may be there forever. My eyes and my heart will be always there. Does God have physical ears? Does he have a physical heart? God is spirit. But what is he trying to say to us? He's saying, I'm listening. I'm listening to the prayers that my people pray. I'm watching my people to see if they will humble themselves and kneel and bow down and turn to me and repent of their wicked ways. We know that the temple is no longer in Jerusalem. It's no longer a building. It's no longer a place. But the temple now dwells in the people of God. In Acts chapter 2, we see uh, the Holy Spirit coming at Pentecost. And the Holy Spirit dwelling in each believer, in each Christian. And people are starting to speak in different languages. And a crowd comes together. And this is where Peter preaches his first sermon. And he speaks about Jesus Christ being the Savior and the Lord. And he talks about the gospel message. And when the people hear this, in Acts 2, 37, it says that they were cut to the heart. And so they ask Peter, brothers, what shall we do? What do we do, Peter? Peter says, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off and for all whom the Lord our God will call. What is the power of confession? What is the power of confessing our sins before the Lord? Well, do you remember what happened after Peter preaches this and after the people repent? It says that about 3,000 were added to the believers that day. And that as they continued to meet together, as they continued to do this, it says that the Lord added to their numbers daily. In 1907, a little more than 100 years ago, Korea was still one country. It was still united. And the gospel message had not reached or spread throughout Korea, but for a few decades. Because before that, hundreds of years prior to that, the gospel message had tried to reach Korea, but the Korean people had rejected it. But in 1907, in January, in that winter, in that winter season, Something happened, a a miracle, a revival in a city called Pyongyang. A revival came about when massive Korean people came together for this revival to hear God's word and to pray. But something else happened. People started to repent of their sins. People started to confess their sins. One by one, people started to stand up and confess what the wrongs that they had and the sins that they had committed before the Lord. And then they would bow down, you know, just stomping and shaking and and, and just asking for forgiveness. And the whole place would erupt with prayer. And what was supposed to be just a, a few days lasted a few weeks and then a few months. And this marked the spiritual revival in Korea, where now we see tens of millions 
of Christians in South Korea. America is not without such a same revival. In the 1730s and 40s, a great awakening, a great spiritual awakening happened where faithful preachers preaching the word of God called Americans to repent and to confess their sins before Almighty God. And it sparked a newfound revival, a spiritual revival, a newfound love of Christ here in America. What is the power of confession? What is the power of asking for forgiveness? Well, we are reminded today through the word of God that God promises to forgive our sins, but also to bring healing to our land. Just as in the days of Solomon, God now is watching and listening to his people, listening to the prayers that they pray. He promised that he would establish David's throne forever. And he has, through Jesus Christ, he has established his throne forever. And so let us, as God's people, humbly come before him every day to devote ourselves to him, to confess ourselves, to confess our sins to him, and to receive assurance of forgiveness that we may, as God commanded throughout the Old and the New Testaments, come before God as his people, that he may work through us, even now, even in 2021, even through a year of pandemic, let our prayers arise to the Lord as a pleasing sacrifice to him, that he may work through us. Amen. Let's pray together. Lord, we thank you for the work that you did for us on the cross, paying our punishment, paying that penalty, the one that we deserved. We thank you that because of what you did on the cross, how you atoned for our sins, that, Lord, now, as we put our faith and our trust in you, we can have assurance of forgiveness for our sins. And so, Father, we humbly come before you, and we would ask that just as you promised Solomon and the Israelites so many years ago, Lord, that you would hear our prayers and our confessions and that you would forgive us for our sins, and that you would heal our land. We pray this in your name, Jesus Christ. Amen.